Uh, happy Father's Day. A big happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. It is wonderful. I pray that you'll have a great day today. And I ask that the rest of the families, your wives and your kids, will spoil you or at least sort of uh, appreciate you or, or show their appreciation for you as well at this time. One thing I found really interesting as I've been, like, getting older is how there has been this change of the perception of dads, how dads have gone from being sort of like a stalwart and, and a strong pillar within their family to be now being portrayed in the media and, and movies and, and even in music as, as oafs and buffoons. You'll see this constantly now, how dads are looked at as dullards now. Um, don't let that be the perception of your dad. Um, your dads, I know with my dad, have gone through a lot, have done a lot, and I'm sure we should really appreciate our fathers for everything that they do, everything that they've given up, and everything they've provided for us as well. I'm not saying this is every dad. I'm saying this is just, I know for myself, someone to be very appreciative of for everything that they do in our lives. For Mother's Day, I don't know if you remember this, but for Mother's Day, we looked at Jochebed. And we examined God's grace upon her, how she as a mum did the best that she could for the benefit of her son Moses, but in the long run ultimately had to commit her son into the hands of our almighty God. Today is Father's Day. And Father's Day, we're going to look at a biblical character, um, not him specifically because he's not actually a dad. This biblical character isn't actually a dad, but I want us to look at the focus being his divine calling, his response to that divine calling, and the grace that is manifest toward him despite the response. So if you've got your Bibles, please turn to the book of Jonah. We're going to do a study in the book of Jonah over the next several weeks, but I thought it appropriate as we look at Father's Day today, we begin with a Father's Day message. So, turn to the book of Jonah. As you're doing that, here's a little bit of context for you. Now, the northern kingdom, so the nation of Israel is divided into two nations, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, the northern kingdom was experiencing great prosperity, great success physically, even though they were under a terrible king, uh, King Jeroboam II. Uh, we are told that King Jeroboam, even though he was a bad king, we are told in 2 Kings 14.25 that he restored Israel's border from Libo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah. According to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel had spoken through his servant, the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai. So along with this expansion of lands, with the prosperity, the great prosperity they were experiencing, the nation of Israel were viewing that as God's blessing because they were succeeding, because they were prospering in so many ways. But we have to look at this nation not only through Jonah's eyes, but also through the eyes of his contemporaries, so the other prophets that were prophesying at the same time, to understand what God saw was something entirely different. Jonah's contemporaries were Hosea and Amos. Hosea was looking at the unfaithfulness of Israel. Amos was looking at the moral depravity 
that Israel were exercising. So despite their physical success, but despite their economic prosperity physically, while they were prospering physically, their spiritual position was waning horrendously, if not waned completely at all. So, like many of us, even in today's church, we need to be careful. Just because we are prospering, just because we have received blessing financially or, or blessing physically, isn't necessarily an indicator that we are right with God. Especially if that physical blessing, that prosperity, is taking our eyes off Jesus and drawing us further away from him. If anything, that may even be the enemy enticing us with what is good in order to distract us from what is God's. So we always must be aware of those sorts of things. So with that as our context, we come to these opening verses of Jonah, verses that speak to the mercy, the compassion, and the grace of God toward all mankind despite who you are, despite what position you have, but specifically for today, for us as dads. So we're going to look at God's grace upon him, a Father's Day lesson. Join me in a word of prayer, and then we'll look at the word together. Father, I pray that this morning you will truly encourage the hearts of all the dads, truly encourage all of our hearts, that we will be appreciative of those people you have placed in our lives, that we will appreciate the grace that is given to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. That we will be thankful and grateful for the Word, thankful and grateful for your Spirit, thankful and grateful for your church and for the fact that we can still worship and, and interact and fellowship even now. So as we look into your Word now, I pray that you will teach each one of us a personal lesson as you speak to us about where we're at and how we can move forward with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, looking at Jonah chapter 1, we're going to read the first two verses. We're going to look at the first two verses, touch on the third verse very briefly. But like I said, this is the first of the next four weeks of looking at the book of Jonah. I'm reading from the CSB, and it says this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up! Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because the evil has come up before me. In the King James, those words get up uh, is referred to as arise. In the NIV, it just says go to the great city and preach. But in the Hebrew, it actually makes reference to that whole idea of, of getting up, of, of being active. Now, Here's the first thing I like about this verse, because it's the first observation I take that's appropriate not only for dads but for all of us, that of personal instruction. Personal instruction. So as you look at verse 1, we read, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. That one word, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, a phrasing that to me speaks to the nature of God's word, the personal nature of God's word, a nature that is described over and over and over again throughout the scriptures. For example, you don't have to turn there, but in Psalm 19, the word of the Lord, according to Psalm 19, it illuminates our souls and our beings. In verse 7, we read that the word of the Lord is perfect, reviving or converting the soul. In verse 7, we're told the word of the Lord is trustworthy, making the simple 
wise in verse 7. We're told that the word of the Lord is right, gladdening the heart. We're told the word of the Lord is radiant, enlightening the eyes in verse 8. We are told that the word of the Lord is reliable and righteous in verse 9. The nature of God's word is that it illuminates our very souls and our beings. It's not a matter of just words doing that. It's the word of the Lord, a personal word that can illuminate our souls and being. We read in Psalm 119 how the word of the Lord does this for people. It frees us from shame as one obeys it. In verse 6, we are told that the word of the Lord is victorious as it is treasured in one's heart. In verse 11, we are told the word of the Lord is focused in vision from its instruction. In verse 18, we are told the word of the Lord strengthens in weariness. In verse 28, told that the word of the Lord grows our reverence for him in verse 38. In other words, the word of the Lord establishes and encourages us. So not only does it illuminate us, it establishes us as well. In the greatest of all aspects, just some verses that we should all know regarding the word of the Lord. That the word of the Lord is liberating. John chapter 8 verse 32. That it sets us free. That the word of the Lord is power. John, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the power of God unto salvation. We're told the, the word of the Lord is instructive. Read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that it thoroughly, thoroughly furnishes us to all good works. And that we are told the word of the Lord is living and active in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Verses you should all know. If you don't, I suggest you memorize them. But this, this somewhat overlooked reality for us is that when we look at the word of the Lord, we only see words on a page. Rather, this liberating, powerful, instructive, living and active word is reflected here to me and to you personally. You see, the word of the Lord, being more than just words on a page, has power because of who communicates that word. That's what makes the difference. It's the source of those words are the ones that give us the hope, that gives us the encouragement, that gives us the joy to respond to because we are not responding to words on a page. We are responding to a person, a personal God who personally involves himself by personally reaching out to you and to me. He is the God in the garden that reaches out to Adam when he says, Adam, where are you? In Genesis 3.9. He's the one that took the initiative when it came to establishing a king by reaching out to Saul, a son of Benjamin, of the tribe of Benjamin, in 1 Samuel 9.15 and 16. He's the one that took the initiative on the road straight, on the way to Damascus, to reach out to Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9, verse 4. And it is here in Jonah we see that same word come to him. This word that comes to Jonah, the word of the Lord that came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. And it is the same word that comes to you and to me today. The same word that calls us, the same word that challenges us, the same personal word that instructs us. Instructs us. I don't know why I whispered us here at the end. 
But it's that word that comes to us, that word that comes to establish and exhort and encourage and challenge, which means we, as the people of God, must be open to what he has to say to us personally. It's really interesting because I've noticed how, and, and I think this is another aspect of God's word, how God's word meets us where we're at. I know that how I talk to, say, Jeremy and Jenna, and I enjoy talking with them, how I speak to them is different to how I would speak to, say, Jonah or Ariella. It's, it's not that I consider one less than the other. It means that I want to meet them on their level. And the thing is this about God's word. He meets us where we're at, yes, but not so we can stay where we're at, but rather, and here's the second observation, that we would get up and move from where we're at. Because this is the next observation. Not only is it a personal instruction, it is an instruction so we might receive. An instruction so we might receive. We read in Jonah chapter 1, the first part of verse 2. He says this, these two words. Get up. Get up. This isn't a charge of exhortation or correction that is directed towards him. It's not one that in Joshua chapter 7 verse 10 when Israel failed because of Achan's sin and Joshua falls before him and the same word is used in Joshua 7.10. He says to Joshua, get up, there's sin in the camp. Get up because you need to deal with it. Rather, this instruction here of get up is done so in order for an action to be performed. It is done so because one is ready to get into the game, as it were. Uh, much like a team that is trained as a team to execute a particular game plan, much like uh, a soldier that is trained and prepared to get into the upcoming battle. These first two words of get up are an invitation for one to do and be something in connection with what you are made for as God's children. Does that make sense? The whole idea is to get up so you can be and do something that is in connection to what you have been made for as God's children. And what have you been made for? To bring glory to God. To exalt Him. To praise His name. We are even told that something as simple as eating and drinking can be done to the glory of God in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Something as simple as that can bring glory to God. Something as simple as praising him and acknowledging him can bring glory to God. Something as simply as, as praying and fellowshipping of going out of your way to honor him can bring glory to God. That is what we have been made for. And so that whole thing of getting up is in order, us to, in order for us to do and be who God has made us. For example, some examples. It is David confronting Goliath when the rest of the nation, including the king, cowered in fear. It's in 1 Samuel 17. It is, it is Elijah going up to the, uh, stepping up to the plate and confronting King Ahab for his idolatrous sin in 1 Kings 17. It is Esther putting her life on the line and reaching out or going to pre approach the king, Artaxerxes, for the deliverance of her nation in Esther chapter 4 and 5. It is Ezekiel who's been told to get up by the Lord in order to receive from him in Ezekiel chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. 
all people who were, and this is the word, all people who were ready, all the people who were prepared for the times when God called on them to do for or to receive from him. Get up. All those times, all those times, even in the last four weeks, all those times we have sought to encourage you to live above anxiety regarding the situation that we're in now. All those times we've encouraged you to, to live and the way you live under restrictions in a way that brings glory to God. All the times that we've encouraged you to live with the right perspective from the divine and not from a human perspective. Jono last week, who all, about living in hope. Regardless of the situation, having our hope in God and submitting ourselves to him. All those times we've encouraged you to read the word of God, to make the best of this time in lockdown. All those times we've encouraged you to spend time in prayer and to reach out to others. All those times we sat down and encouraged you to, to be holy because he is holy. All those times that the word of God has gone forth in your life and in your quiet times. All those are done in order for us to be prepared by God so when God says to you, when God says to Ben or Mel, when God says to, to Chris, when God says to Joyce or, or Brad or, or John, when God says to Uncle Fred, get up, you respond. You're ready. You're excited. Do you know why? Because you're ready to get into the game. I, I always used to, uh, so when I played rugby, what a, it's another sports illustration. I apologize for that. But I know one of the things that I didn't like when I was playing rugby was being a substitute. Having to come in from the reserve bench. Now, the game has changed now. But, you know, it's, it's the only time you ever really used reserves is when somebody got injured, not where you can just sub in and out now. Um, this is back when I played in the 80s and early 90s. But here's the thing. As a reserve, I'd be suited up, I'd have my boots on, and then I would wait for the coach to call me up. So when it was time, if somebody got injured, he'd say, Joe, you're up, and I was keen. Why? Because I've been training for this. I've been preparing for this. I've been getting ready for this so that when I get into the game, I'm able to do what's asked of me on the field. So it is here in the scriptures. So it is with us in our walks with Jesus Christ. The idea of us getting ready is so when our God calls on us, we're ready. When our God calls on us, we're excited. When our God calls on us, we are ready to do for and to receive from him. This is the role, especially seen as Father's Day, that you and I as fathers are to do. And, and thankfully, I've seen so many fathers within our church that do this. So many fathers that step up to the plate. So many fathers that are there to care for their children. So many fathers that are there to minister. So many fathers that are there to, to be the encouragements. Because your children learn how real God is from what you do from who you are, from how you respond, by the actions you take in every, any given situation. Which means this, that for us as dads, we need to get up off our couches and get on our knees in prayer with our families there, with our children knowing, with our children observing what we're doing. It means that for us as dads, we are to get up off our computers and actually spend time with our kids, showing them various qualities of, of how to do and, and what to be. 
It means that for us as dads, we are to get up off our beds and spend time in the Word of God. Spend time meditating in His presence, responding to the influence of His Spirit in each of our lives. Because when we allow the Lord to move in us, when we respond to that charge, that instruction of getting up, imagine the influence it has on your children's lives. Imagine the influence it has on the lives of those people around you. Imagine the influence it has, not even with your own kids, but with your neighbors and with your community, with people within the church, that when you get up, they know, they know that God is real to you, that the relationship you share with him is real, and that is then evidenced by how they conduct themselves toward them as the observers. It's why I like John 10, 27, it says, that's the first few words, my sheep listen to my voice. My sheep listen to my voice. Meaning that when he says get up, that there's an eager response from you and I because the coach, no, because the captain of our salvation has called us up. And what does he want us to do once we're up? Well, what was Jonah told? And this is what I like. So not only is there instruction for us to receive, there is instruction for our direction. It's not a matter of us just stepping up and saying, okay, what now? It's where we're directed to. You carry on reading in the verse. We see this. He says, get up, verse 2, go to the great city of Nineveh. Now, here's the second half of my context, okay? During Israel's rise and expansion, there was a nation to the east that was doing exactly the same thing. They were rising and expanding as well. Assyria was growing in power and influence, and Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And it was only a matter of time before these two, I guess you could say superpowers, would collide. Now these two nations have had interaction before, most always bad. But by the time, Jonah, by the time of Jonah, Israel didn't want to return to Assyrian domination. Now the Assyrians, besides their idolatry, they were brutal and they were merciless. Archaeologists have found slabs that sort of record how they treated their enemies. They would, they would flay the nobles of the enemy nations and then they would take their skins and drape them over the corpses of their dead. They would dismember people, cutting them off at their wrists and at their ankles. They would, they would cut off noses, cut off ears while they were still alive. They would gouge out their eyes while they were still alive, right before they beheaded them. For those people that were still alive, the survivors, they would put hooks within their lower lip to lead them along. And as they lead them along, they would take them back to their capital, or back to Assyria, where they then in turn would either sell them into slavery, torture them for fun, and then ultimately kill them. So this is what was going on for, for, the, uh, for, for the Assyrians. Okay? Now, at this time, Amos, Jonah's contemporary, has already prophesied that Israel would fall under the rule of a foreign land because of Israel's sin. You read Amos 5.27, 6.14, and 7.17. Um, we find from Isaiah chapter 10, verse 5, that Assyria is this nation because Assyria is the rod that God uses to bring judgment 
on Israel. Okay, now in Jonah's day, once again, Assyria had already claimed Damascus. Um, it had taken care of, I think, Samaria as well, and claimed that territory that once belonged to Israel. So, that's a bit more context. Now, let me explain. Jonah is instructed to go to the capital city of the nation that will soon rule over them. Okay? He has to go to a land of brutal, merciless idolaters and warn them of God's coming judgment. Can you see why Jonah does what he does in verse 3? Something we'll look at a little bit later. But the focus I want to concentrate on with this, with the knowledge of who Jonah has to go to and who they are and regard the enemies of Israel, it is something that I think us as dads need to understand. I think us Christians need to apply in life. I have witnessed my own dad do this. I've seen fathers within our church do this. And I have sought by the grace of God to exemplify this to my own children as well. What is that instruction? That the call of God, the instruction he gives to us personally, the direction he wants us to take, get this, will not necessarily be something that I would want to do. It won't necessarily be something that I would like. But as a parent that sets boundaries for their children, as a captain of an army that leads the platoon, the instructions are given for the benefit of everybody involved, for the development of relationships, for the growth of character, for peace to maintain the home, whatever it might be. We are called sometimes in our Christian lives to do something that we will not like. And that's hard. The Christian life, our relationship with Jesus isn't all sunshine and rainbows. It isn't always we get what we want. It's always not us doing what we want to do. It is us doing what is right according to what God wants us to do, not ourselves. Not what makes us feel good, but what is righteous. Not what, not what, not what makes me happy, but what brings a smile to God's face. And you read this in the scriptures continually. Okay, I, I, I look, for example, Moses. Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3. He came up with an excuse after excuse after excuse. And in the end, all those excuses were shot down. He didn't, he didn't want to do it, but he obeyed. And in the long run, God delivered a nation. Chris read about Abraham and Isaac this morning. I guarantee you this, for Abraham as a dad, he would have been apprehensive. He wouldn't have liked it, but he did it regardless for the glory of of God. Gideon, when he was called as a judge and was hiding in a wine press, God called him, assured him, and he became a leader for the nation of Israel. And the greatest exemplification of this is in the person of Jesus Christ. When he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, my father, if it possible, may this cup be taken from me. But not my will but as you will, Matthew 26, 39. This is the reality. If the Lord Jesus himself says, okay, I don't want to, but your will be done. God will convict you in your life as a dad, as a mum, as a child, as a sibling, whatever it might be. And he might sit there and ask you to do something that you don't want to do. But as the Lord Jesus shows us, not as I will but as you will. 
that God's will be done. There are, there are convictions the Lord has stirred in our hearts for us to respond to. There are challenges the Lord desires for us to confront. There are sins within our, in our lives that need to be repented of some of which we don't want to, some of which we don't feel like we should, but how we feel is irrelevant. We are told to walk by faith, not by sight, by faith, not by our feelings. And we're to be guided by his word, not my ever-changing attitudes. That's what we're called to do. That's what it means to be instructed with direction. Because God wants us to move on from where we are. He tells us to get up, to receive from him, in order to move on from where we are. If you're content with where you are in your Christian life right now, then you need to pray and ask for God to change your heart. I need to do the same, if that's how I am, to repent of such things. Because he wants us to keep growing. I've shared this before. I've shared this before. If you're not growing, you're dying. It's as simple as that. If you're not growing, you're dying. So... Where is the Lord telling you to go? After he has cried out to you to get up, what then is he telling you to deal with? Because we can do one of two options laid out before us. We can either go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because the evil has come up before me. We can either respond in obedience to the convictions God has laid upon our heart. We can respond in obedience to the direction he's giving to us. We can either do that or we can do what Jonah did. The first part of verse 3 says this, Jonah got up to flee from Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He sought to run away from his calling. He sought to flee from the Lord because the Lord had laid upon his heart something that he did not want to do. Now, given the context of Jonah's situation, I can understand why Jonah took this course of action. But the problem with Jonah is a problem that many people have today, both Christian and non-Christian alike. What is that problem? It is allowing one's own sense of justice, one's own idea of fairness. We allow that to take precedence over God's just and fair nature. That's what we do. We think we know better. We think God should handle it a certain way. And because we think that, we would much rather run away with what we think instead of submitting to and yielding ourselves to God's heart, to God's way. Jonah, knowing what God is like, doesn't want the Ninevites to experience the grace of God that he has experienced. He doesn't want the Ninevites to be people that have the opportunity to know the forgiveness of God that he has known. Or nor does he desire God to fulfill his very nature as being a God of love, a God of righteousness, a God of judgment, justice. He doesn't want God to fulfill those. And this is something we'll look at a little more over the coming weeks as we study in Jonah. But it raises an interesting question regarding us as dads or as parents in general. We haven't run away physically 
from our responsibility. Yes, I pray we haven't run away physically from our responsibility as a dad. But we might run away in other ways. We might yield the spiritual input into our children's lives. We may give that over to our wives or to our Sunday school teachers or or to the church. We may give over the responsibility of instilling values to our children to, say, Netflix or to our children's friends or to the local fads or the YouTube influences that they may be watching. We may run away from those responsibilities and the people that suffer are the ones that we as dads have been told to care for. If you read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 6, to raise our children a specific way in the ways of the Lord. We can do such things. And like Jonah did, we are prioritizing what we want above what God wants. What we think will benefit rather than what God knows will benefit. But if Jonah teaches us anything, it's this, that the grace of God goes far beyond the failings we have as people. The mercy of God extends to a far greater point of compassion than I am ever deserving of, and that the love of God reaches far further than when I fall or for when I'm cast down. Because as we work our way through Jonah, you see the grace of God reaching out to him continually. The grace of God ministering to him to break down his heart, to break down the barriers he's built up, to break down the attitudes that he has created. And we can learn from that ourselves. If Once again, referring to Joshua chapter 7, what I like about that is that as Joshua humbles himself and says, what's going on, Lord, when they got destroyed by Ai, and basically, I'm paraphrasing here, when he says, get up, he says, get up, because there's sin in the camp. Israel has sinned. We have that same avenue made available to us. That when God says to us, if we've recognized how we failed as dads, if we've recognized how we failed as husbands or as mothers or as friends or as church members, as Christians, that same thing applies to us now. That when he says to us, get up, he says, get up and deal with it. Get up, deal with it, and then move forward. And we can, as God challenges us, get up, repent of our sin, and then walk on with our God. Such is the grace of God given to us in Christ. As is always shared, the extent that God has, has, has gone to bring us to himself, the, the giving of his son, that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us, that through faith in him we receive forgiveness, that we receive continual forgiveness as we rely on him. Uh, the fact that we have all of that is so he, he who went through so much to get us, is not easily going to let us go. Such is the grace of God. And so we can get up and, like Ezekiel, receive from him God's spirit that enables us to stand. And that is my encouragement to you today, that we can get up, we can go forward, and that we go in obedience for the glory of God the Father. That's exciting. And that's what you have as dads made available to you in Christ. I just want to close with this one quote, which I think is really good. It's a guy named Clovis. 
Clovis G. Chapel, and he says this, which I think sums up very well. It's a nice, good, a nice note to finish on. He says this, quote, How glorious that when we resist God's purpose and all but wreck ourselves, he will make us again. Truly, we would be a hopeless race, but for the fact that we have a mighty God who is able to remake us even when we have rebelled against him and have thwarted his blessed plans for us. How glorious, how glorious that when we resist God's purpose and all but wreck ourselves, he will make us again. I pray that today, as a Father's Day, you and I will get up from where we are, that we will go and that we will preach with our lives, our obedience, our submission, and our love for our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you very much for that, brothers and sisters. Allow me to close in a word of prayer and will commit your dads to the Lord this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the example of Jonah. I thank you that while he gets up and receives from you and he makes a wrong choice, that we as your children, not only as dads, but as your children, will make the right choice. That we will submit to you when you call us. That when you tell us to get up and go, we will not only get up and go, we will go willingly and eagerly and zealously as we have the opportunity to live for you, our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords. We ask that you will bless the dads, and I thank you for them. I thank you for all the sacrifices that they've made. I thank you for the hard work that they do. And I pray, Lord, that you will continue to stir their hearts to be the men of God you have called them to be. I pray that you will help each of us as the men to step up, to step up and take hold of who you are as our, as our God. So we commit ourselves to you and ask, Lord, that you will exalt yourself in each of our lives for your glory and for your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.